Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, AKA Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And man, I'm excited because today we have James Matarazzo. I hope I said that right. I think I did. But uh, yep. he's a sales business development. He's been in the industry for 34 years, I think it says. You've been involved in thousands of uh, transactions. So I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit more, but thank you for coming. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. As you said, I've been in the mortgage industry since 1988, 34 plus years. And every time I think I've seen it all in the industry, look at this crazy year we're in right now. So right. I'm not afraid of it. It's a little bit of a challenge, but we'll be able to maneuver through it. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Awesome. So uh, let's kind of rewind it back. We were talking a little bit before we kind of got started here on kind of your journey throughout the time, you know, being in the industry. First, let's start like what actually got you into the industry and then talk a little bit about kind of some of the struggles and things like that, that you kind of went through. What's the journey looked like over the last 34 years? Sure. Wow. How do I <laughs> give you the Reader's Digest version of that? Um, yeah. I actually got into the business while I was going to school at night. I was going to college at night. I was working as a bank teller during the day. And somebody I knew said to me, how much are you making at that bank as a teller? 12000 a year? And I said, 12100 thank you very much. Don't shortchange me. <laughs> and they started to laugh. And they said, you know, you got a good personality. You're a nice looking kid. Why don't you go get your mortgage broker's license? Come work for me and my brother-in-law. We own a mortgage company. And I bet you, you double your income in your first year. And I said, okay, why not? I took the class over the weekend on how to pass the test. I took the test. Got a 98 on the mortgage test. And that next Monday, I was a mortgage broker. I got into the business at 22 years old, went to work the first day on the job, opened the door at nine o'clock in the morning and said to the owner of the mortgage company, I'm here to take loan applications. And he says, well, we don't have any loan applicants here. And I said, isn't this a mortgage company? And he said, it is, but you have to go find the borrowers. And I said, well, where do I find the borrowers? And he said, at the real estate offices. And I said, well, what real estate offices do I have to go to? He says, I don't know. Pick one. Just get the heck out of here. So <laughs> I did. I walked down. I got into my car, rode down to the very first real estate office I saw. And it was five minutes after nine o'clock on that Monday morning. Nobody was in the office but the broker owner. And he says, who the hell are you? And I said, I'm James Matarazzo with XYZ Mortgage. I'd rather not say who it was. <laughs> and he looked at my card. He ripped it up. He threw it in my face and said, get out of my office. You're not allowed to solicit business here. And your boss is a crook. And I walked out with my tail between my legs and I had a choice to make. Do I go back to the bank as a teller and make 12,000 a year? Or do I go to the next one? And I decided to go to the next one and the next real estate office and the next one. And 34 plus years later, the journey has gone way, way high through the roof to where I got up to a divisional and a regional vice president of very large mortgage companies before the crash of mm -hmm. 07. And then the crash happened in 07. So I've done retail, I've done wholesale, I've done sales, I've done operations, I've done them all simultaneously. I've run three different divisions, three different channels, correspondent, wholesale and retail. And 
I end up here at guaranteed rate for the last year or so as a VP of mortgage lending. And really it is, I am a mortgage originator. I don't have a team. I'm just working with myself, for myself, through guaranteed rate, originating loans and helping people achieve the American dream of home ownership and putting them in a better financial position, you know, on a refinance, whether it's to lower the term, lower the rate, pull out equity. I'm really a mortgage consultant over 34 plus years. As I said, I think I've seen just about every kind of crazy market. This market has definitely thrown everybody a curve, especially right. in the early part of the year with interest rates in the threes. And I had people right. pre-approved in the threes. And here's the loan amount you qualify for. And here's the purchase price you can get. And now we're in the seven. What you qualified for back in February, you're not going to qualify for in October. And it's right. uh, just crazy to see it. But people still need to buy homes, whether they're going to rent for the short term. But ultimately, to build wealth, you need to own real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's huge. And obviously, you've seen a couple things here and there. We're at 34 years and, you know, basically every other scenario under the sun, it sounds like, you know, so talk a little bit about that. Like what took you through, you know, the hard times, right? I mean, let's kind of like rewind back to what the 2007-8 era, like you were running divisions and then how did you get through that period of time? And do you see any correlation with what you're seeing today? Is it totally different? I guess kind of, you know, walk us through that, man. Yeah, those are two very good questions. I want to take the second one first, though, because there isn't a huge correlation between what happened in 07 and what's happening now. And the main thing is it's supply and demand. It's inventory. We have virtually no inventory compared to what we had in 2007. When that crash happened in 07, there was over 4 million houses listed for sale. And now there's less than a million listed for sale. Our population has obviously grown since then. The baby boomers are ready to buy. The home buyers out there totally outweigh the amount of inventory that we have. Back in 07, it was flipped. We had too much inventory and people weren't able to qualify for mortgages at that point in time. So I don't see a direct correlation between the two. I believe we're going to be on the opposite end of what's been happening with the interest rates the second half of this year. I think we're going to be on the other side of that by mid-2023, mid-next year. We're going to start to see things get better. The inventory situation is not going to change that much because builders aren't building as much as they were before. So I'm a numbers guy. I'm just looking at numbers. I'm looking at history. I have great resources out there that provide that data to me. And it's what I really talk to my clients about. And stop listening to all the noise in the news. And just because interest rates are up this high. In the last 40 years, the interest rates have been in the mid-seven, seven and three-eighths, somewhere in that area. So this is normal. When mm-hmm. we're in the twos and the threes, that wasn't a normal time. Those were held down for a reason. So I don't believe we're going to have that same situation that we had in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. I do believe we're going to be on the other side of it, hopefully by mid-time or mid-year next year. Sure. So that's my philosophy on that. But how did I get through 07? I was at the top of the mountain. I was with the number one mortgage company in the country. I was a senior regional vice president with that company, had about 200 employees reporting to me, sales and operations, multiple states. And then the house of cards came tumbling down. 
So I had to reinvent myself. I went from an RVP position, regional vice president, to knocking on doors at Chase and other major banks where they said, we're not even hiring loan officers right now. But, you know, they took a look at my resume and they said, we can't hire you for anything. There are no middle level management positions. We're not even hiring, as I said, loan officers. So I had to reinvent myself. I jumped on LinkedIn. That's when I joined LinkedIn. I think the first day was right after the crash started. And mm -hmm. I just started to network. And I just started telling people, I'm looking for my next opportunity. I'm a sales manager. I've been in the mortgage industry since 1988. And I'm looking for my next opportunity. So I kept scratching and clawing and trying to find my next opportunity. I worked for a couple of small retail companies at the time, kind of dipped back into wholesale. I went back and forth between wholesale and retail on the mortgage side and tried to climb my way back up from there. You know, I did telesales for a mortgage company for a while in 2009 and 2010, which was great boot camp. I learned sure. how to sell over the phone. I learned how to isolate, handle, and overcome objections, Huge. just trying to help people refinance and get out of debt and you know in a call center that's it's huge camp. that's great sales training i should have done that earlier in my career instead of just getting thrown to the wolves and say go find a loan someplace yeah i should yeah. have had that training but i didn't get that training until 2009 and 2010 so well, and, i learned and, a lot and, from that and most loan officers don't get that training i see it like when people do come out of like a consumer direct sort of model like they learn how to sell at a much higher level than you know, most of the boots on the ground type of people, like the boots on the ground people are good at networking. So then on the flip side, the consumer direct guys struggle with that piece of like, how do I then talk with realtors? How do I show my value to them? So it's funny because like each of these, like learn these different skill sets and like the hybrid LO is really the most powerful, the one that can do both, right? That can do consumer direct and that can build those relationships. So they have both of those skills that are super, super important. And so I love the fact that you talked about, because I also think cold calling and doing those like hard things early on in your career is such a great foundation for the future because like you know if you haven't ever done something like that like you know that's hard man like you're going to direct the consumer or cold call and doing those things door knocking like that's hard man no one wants to do that but it also builds your um thick skin right you've gotten a lot of no's you have to do like the hard stuff and it just i think it serves you well in your career absolutely it definitely does and you have to go through that and you really hone your skills that way because it's repetitive when you hang up and you say oh man i should have said this or I could have said that, or I could have been more consultative instead of reactive. Sure. And, you know, just asking questions. That's really what it's all about. You know, what is the reason that they went onto that website looking to pay off all of this debt? How'd you get into that debt? What are you going to do with the money on the refinance? What's your situation with family? Is it going toward college? What are you going to save the money? I'm going to save you $314 a month by doing this refinance for you, what are you going to do with that $314? Mm -hmm. Find out the reason why. And it's just asking questions. And I, I think a that. lot of people are so busy selling and telling and selling is not telling. It's really asking questions and listening, solving people's problems and meeting people's needs. And a yes. lot of us don't get that training early on in our careers. And we learn it. Sometimes we learn it the hard way. Man, I love it. I love it because that's 100% true. And when you've always dealt with referrals, you can get away with doing things that are probably not super kosher. Like you can just say, all right, let's take your application. Let's get going. But like, that's not really the best way to sell. Like you, I agree with you. Selling is really asking questions. And I think there's always been this sort of negative stigma around sales. And I even hear loan officers say sometimes, I'm not a salesperson, I'm an advisor. And it's like, 
why can't you be both, right? There's nothing wrong with being a salesperson if it's done ethically. And really sales, all like you mentioned, sales is identifying the problem and then basically showing them why you're the best solution to their problem. And if you're not the best solution for the problem, then you point them in the right direction. That's what ethical sales is, in my opinion. And so I agree, asking the right questions and asking like second, third, fourth, like order of questions as well. Like some people like they'll ask that surface level question and then move on to the next thing. But like you mentioned, the why is really the most important part of the whole equation. Because if you understand their goals, but you don't understand the motivations for why they want those goals, you're never going to be able to close at the levels that you should be able to, right? You're not going to sell as much as you should because you haven't actually understood their why. And someone else is going to come along and they're going to have that conversation. That's what's going to make them stand out, right? And I think, like you said, I think there's so many people that are transactional in this space that it's just very much like onto the next, onto the next. And over the last few years, you have been able to do that, right? There's so much business yeah. falling out of the sky that it's like, I can't spend that time, right? But like now in a market like today, like that becomes more and more important to how do you differentiate yourself from everybody else? Rates are like, okay, yeah, you may be within a quarter, whatever, half, like you're pretty close. But like, if you can stand out in the regards to like actually understanding someone's situation, you're going to stand out from every other loan officer that's like, all right, let me just get your credit pool. Then they fill out this online application that I sent you. And I haven't even had a conversation with you. So, man, I love that you talked about that because it's something like you said, is not taught in this industry. And as you mentioned, everybody just says, go out and find realtors. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, right. well, how, like, what do I do? And I just find that fascinating. Yeah. And it's been the challenge this last half of this year is all of a sudden the faucet shut off. Sure. Now, now what do you do? So, you know, I think one of the things we talked about is how do you find right. your audience? How do you find your new client base? How do you find your referral partners? I'm a big proponent of networking. And I have been even before the pandemic. And I wasn't networking just to meet real estate agents, although that's my number one referral source, naturally. Mm -hmm. But sure. it's real estate attorneys. It's divorce attorneys. It's the electricians of the world. It's the handymen. Handymen mm -hmm. are in people's houses and they see, oh, you want me to fix your ceiling fan? What's happening? Well, I'm getting my house ready to sell. Oh, where are you moving to? Well, I'm moving to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, really? Do you have a real estate agent? Do you have a mortgage person to help you with the mortgage? No? Well, I know James. James can connect you with a real estate agent in Fort Lauderdale and he can help you with the mortgage. I mean, mm -hmm. anybody's a potential referral partner for sure. me. And so where do I meet those people? In networking groups. And so I joined a lot of networking groups. I joined lead groups. Some of them, I'm the only mortgage person in that group. Some of them are open and there's other mortgage people in there. And that's fine too, because there may be something that those mortgage people can do that I can't. And there may be something that I can do that they can't. Sure. And ultimately we're here to help everybody, again, achieve that American dream of home ownership. So I wanna be that guy that has a guy that can say, hey, I can't do that loan, but I know somebody else that can do that loan. If I can't do it and I can't give you what you want, I'm going to point you in the right direction. But it's all about networking. It's a people business. And is it a numbers game? Yeah, it's a numbers game. So the more people I meet, the more people that know what I do, how long I've done it, how well I do it, that's all going to be better for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I think there's a massive value in being a connector, right? You know, connectors get paid 
handsomely, even if it's not directly from like, whatever it is, it was the referral. Like you just end up being that person that like everybody knows, Hey, like, well, who do you know that does this? It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I know this person, this mm-hmm. person. So being a networker is a huge tool. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, what's funny is that like a lot of times people that just come straight into being like a retail or broker, they get taught to just go find referral partners. And so like right. they get really good at networking. Right. But then they miss that piece that is, you know, just getting a little bit better at the sales process. What would you say is kind of like the best way to learn, you know, some of that like higher level sales stuff? Like, you know, you talked about you went through a call center. Have you done any other training or anything that to kind of, you know, sharpen that tool or what's kind of the best way for, you know, let's say someone's just starting out to learn those sort of strategies or tactics or, you know, things like that? Well, I think my first formal sales training was way back in my great Western bank days, which was the early nineties, where we actually did role-playing on how to sell the features and benefits of a certain loan program. And then from there, it kind of expanded to like a three-day training with an outside company coming in, training Mm -hmm. all the loan officers on kind of the same things we've already talked about. How do you isolate, handle, and overcome an objection? And, you know, there's a skill set for that. There's listening and instead of talking and when to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And so I've had the formalized training. I've had the one-on-one kind of training and I've done it when I had salespeople reporting to me, I would do the same thing. I do role-playing with them. If they were having a hard time getting past the front door of someplace, I said, well, sure. let's kick that around. So it's funny that our timing is so good. I'm thinking of doing online classes on how to be an organized salesperson. I am just looking into doing that now because I have all this knowledge up here and all the experiences, and I'm practicing what I've preached my whole 30 plus year career mm-hmm. and teaching salespeople on how to get the sale and how to be of value to your referral partners and how to be of value to your clients. And, you know, you could take all of the courses to do it, but live training is to me the way to do it. And okay. if you don't have a mentor, you should get a mentor, uh, whether 100%. that's me or somebody else you got to have a mentor that's been through it. And so they can tell you, here's how I handled that similar situation a while ago. And I was just talking right. to a title rep about that same thing today that they brought up an objection to me. And I said, you know, I handled that same type of an objection when I was with Washington Mutual. Here's how I handled it. And they said, how the heck did you know how to handle that? And I said, it's just experience. Right. Hitting that same objection constantly and then evaluating, well, did I really handle that objection the right way? What could I have done differently? If I ever come up to that objection again, I'm not going to do this. I'll take bits and pieces from this experience and I'm going to change it for this one. And let's see how that works. Sometimes it's just trial and error. And then finally right. go, that's what I should have done over here. It worked over here. So yeah, I think that's it. A mentor is very, very important. You have to have somebody to bounce things off of, whether that's your manager whether that's a colleague that's also in the industry, somebody that may have a little bit more experience or a different experience than you. I think it's very, very important to have that. I think it's huge too. I'm a big proponent. I've spent, I don't know, multiple six figures in educating myself in buying you know, courses and mentors and one-on-one coaching over the last, I don't know, four or five years since I kind of started my business and it has paid off in spades. So many people are like, well, you know, I shouldn't have to pay someone or coaches that blah, blah, blah. like people always like want to kind of talk trash on coaches. Like, man, like everybody has a coach, right? Like, you know, every 
person that has been successful has had a coach has had someone that like helped guide them. There's nothing like wrong with that. Like I've actually had coaches for multiple different things, mindset and, you know, business and sales and things like that. And if you talk to anybody who's successful, like anybody who has seen success, they've either paid for most of the time. I mean, maybe not every single time, but most of the time they've paid at least at some point in their past, they've paid someone to help them grow faster, right? That's really what it is. Is like, you can do it the slow way, which is figure it out yourself. And you know, it's going to take you a long, long time to understand, or you could pay someone to get that shortcut to understand, you know, what you should need to do. And I do think that there's huge value to that. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, this industry, so I used to be an account executive for a mortgage company. And I remember the first day that I like went from being like processing to being, you know, account executive. And they're like, okay, well, you need to go call because that's for reverse mortgages as a broker. Right. And so I was like trying to call anybody who closed reverse mortgages and like, Oh, just here's a list. And I said, Oh, what do I say? They're like, just call them. I'm like, is there training? Is there like, like, no, just call them. I was like, Oh wow. Cool. So like I started just calling people and it was like the worst thing ever. And I personally figured out better ways to fit the way I want to do it better. But, um, it was just funny to me. And I, the other thing that was funny was the CEO actually came and was like, oh, like, you know, having a conversation with the whole team of the AEs. He's like, anything you guys need? I was like, I would love to have more training. And the guy basically said, yeah, companies just don't do that anymore. I was like, Mr. CEO, you're the one that's telling me that companies don't do that anymore. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like that is the, yeah. anyway, so didn't last there very long, but you know, <laughs> it was a reflection of what I think is common in this space. It's like, all right, we'll figure it out, right? There's not a lot of support. And I do think in a market like today, it's, going to be tougher. It's going to be harder for people that have gotten through over the last few years on the fact that like, you know, loans were pretty easy to get since what, 2010? Like, I mean, to be completely honest, it's been whatever, 12 years of a bull market. And, you know, now we're kind of in a tough market. And you mentioned, I mean, it's rates and inventory shortages. So we're kind of fighting against two monsters at the same time, which is pretty rough. So like, how do you navigate like a market like this, like, you know, with the tough rates, things like that? I honestly don't even talk about rates. I really look at what is your housing payment costing you now? Sure. Because rents have gone up 13% or more year over year. So, you know, unless you're living with family and you don't have any housing expense, I show them on paper with numbers. If you're going to be in the same home for at least two plus years, you should buy it. Even if sure. in three or four years, you're going to sell it, or maybe you're going to rent it out, you're still ahead of the game in building wealth by purchasing real estate. And I just use very conservative numbers, appreciation numbers, you know, that are average over a 30 year period, not the 12 to 15 to 18% or more that we've been seeing the last few years, but more of the less than 5% appreciation year over year. I use the very conservative numbers and I have the tools to show them those numbers in a nice format it's easy for them to understand and say, look, if you buy a house versus rent, you're paying the landlord's mortgage and you sure. have nothing after that two year or three year or nine year period to show for it. You may get your security deposit back if you clean the place up before you leave, but that's all you have. Meanwhile, right. you just walked away from $180,000 worth of equity that you built up in that nine year period. So what would you rather have, the $3,000 for the security deposit or $183,000 after that period of time? Right. So it's just showing them the numbers. And I try to take the emotion out of it. I know that purchasing a home is a very emotional transaction. It has to be. It's the largest transaction you have sure. uh, that you'll ever make in your life. And there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. And I am all about the numbers. 
that's why I would never be a good realtor, in my opinion, because there's a lot of emotion that goes into selling the house. But selling the right. mortgage, it's all about here's the loan amount you qualify for. Here's the mortgage payment you qualify for. Again, I don't talk about the rate. Here's the payment, principal, interest, taxes, insurance. And if there's a homeowners association fee or a condo association fee, this is your total monthly payment that you qualify for. I don't say that you can afford. This is what you qualify for. In order for me to get the mortgage, we have to keep the loan amount around here and the mortgage payment here. I don't care what the purchase price is. I hate to say I don't care, but it doesn't matter to me if you like the million dollar house, but the loan amount has to be 450,000, you have to come up with the difference to buy that million dollar house. Sure. Or you're gonna have to get a co-borrower or we'll put another plan together, but I'm all about the numbers. So I sure. don't talk about the, the rate. And I actually, in this environment, I hate to use this, but you probably heard this before in a high rate environment is, you know what I'm probably going to say, you marry the home. Don't say it. Don't say it. You, <laughs> okay. You marry the home, marry the home, find the home you like and marry it. And don't worry about the financing. If you can handle the payment, we'll worry about everything else down the road, but it's really a place for you to build wealth. So I don't care that the rates are seven and a half percent or Perfect. seven and five eighths. And I don't even talk about the rate. And I would say when I started in this industry, the rates were 11 and a half and people were thanking me because they used to be 17 and a half a few years before I got into the industry. So it's all relative. So sure. I'm not concerned about the rates at all. I want to help people achieve the American dream. Sure, sure. And I think that's huge. I mean, I think you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, we talk about this quite often as, you know, loan officers, if you haven't thought about it in this light, loan officers are you know, they're almost like wealth builders, right? You know, I talk about the American dream, but like, you know, the truth is that like, I think the stat was that homeowners are 40 times wealthier than renters, right? So, you know, and that's mostly because you've been able to build equity via, you know, homes, right? And so it is something that you can understand like, hey, that could be your why as a loan officer, especially in times like this, but even in any times, it's like, you're not just like closing loans, like you're actually helping build wealth. You're pulling people out of the ghetto. You are changing someone's whole trajectory of like, there's so many things that you can think about in terms of like, yes, you just do loans, you put people in debt technically, right? But which really doing is like, you can literally change someone's whole family tree, like you can be the first person that ever, you know, they ever bought a house, and guess how that's going to affect their kids and their kids kids, right? Like that is how much of an impact loan officers and real estate agents really have in the American economy. And just in general, it's an incredible thing. And if you are a loan officer that's listening to this, and you haven't thought about it from that perspective, just, you know, understand that there's like so much more to what you do than just, you know, taking a 1003 and, you know, and closing loans, right? It's like, there's so much more that's involved. And if you don't understand, you know, some of those motivations and things like that, it probably gets a little tedious, you know, and in a market like this makes it easy to just be like, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'll go do something else. Right. But like, when you kind of see it from that perspective, I think it just makes it easier to say, okay, I'm making a difference in the world, right? Like this is not just a, hey, I'm getting a paycheck and going home. Like I'm truly making a difference. And I think just right. seeing it that way makes it all easier and all that stuff, right? I mean, I don't know. It's true. No, you're 100% right, Luke. And I work with a lot of first-time home buyers. A first-time home buyer is not necessarily a 20 or 30-year-old person. I've sure. done a loan for a first-time home buyer that was in her 70s. She was a widower and her and her husband never owned a home before. So a few years after he passed, she wanted to buy her own home. She didn't want to rent anymore. So I helped her 
with a down payment assistance program in a 55 and older condominium community get into her first home and she was crying at the closing yeah. tears of joy i go to my closings for a number of reasons but i want to see the end result and i want to be there as a resource to answer any questions at the closing table but also it's a celebration and for that person that was in her 70s to get her first home and in tears i mean that's what it was all about i mean if i ever said well why am i doing this for so long that's the why right there i mean i couldn't say it better myself you pointed it out immediately and same thing with the 20 something year old that just comes out of college kind mm -hmm. of leaving their parents house for the first time helping them get their first home or a veteran we do a lot of va loans so veterans i love helping veterans get into their sure. first home um, so whether it's the first home a second home an investment property it's still building well and while you have a roof over your head too so kind of kills two birds with one stone yeah, no, absolutely. And like you mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, yeah, the rates are 7%, but, you know, renting is going to be 100% interest, right? Like you get zero out of the money you pay for rent, but you do get some sort of return most of the time. I mean, is there theoretically a bad time to buy a house? I guess, but really more than anything, it's there's a bad time to sell a home, right? I mean, because you know, as long as you hold a home long enough, like you're probably not going to lose, right? Even in 2007, 8, 9, 10, like if you held it long enough, like if you could sustain it for long enough, you would have been on the upside, right? I mean, and obviously that's the first time or only time in history that something like that has ever happened. So, you know, based off of historical data, like you're going to be pretty well served buying a home as long as you can make the payments. We talked about that, right? Like you said, hey, yeah. payments are the biggest thing that matter. And that's true. Like, I mean, you want to make sure it's affordable. And that's one thing that while there is these three, two, one buy downs and the two, one buy downs and things like that, what I hope is not happening, and it's probably happening somewhere, but I know most loan officers are good ethical human beings as they're not like overselling this thing. And then people are going to have massive payment shock in a year or two years. And I'm assuming the rates go down, but what if they don't, right? We've been assuming that rates weren't going to go this, you know, up into the sevens also. And, you know, so, you know, it's been a crazy market. So that's the one thing that I fear with things like that is like, are we putting people in a bad situation? Because like, it seems nice right now, but maybe in a year, two years, three years, they're going to have this massive payment shock. I don't know. Again, it's just a, something that's been on my mind lately. It's like, those programs sound awesome. But at the same time, I just hope you know, loan officers for the most part are explaining and they do have to qualify, right? So there is that that is there. But still, I mean, when your payment goes up, whatever it is, it's still not going to be fun to have to pay extra money, right? But, you know, it is what it is. Right. It's a good point because it all goes into game planning. I ask yes. the question, how long do you really think you're going to be in the house, number one, and with the same mortgage, number two? Sure. What's your history? Is this your second house, your third houses? You bought 10 houses in your lifetime. How long do you stay in the house, really? I mean, you're getting a 30-year mortgage to keep the payment down, but how sure. long do you keep your loans typically? Are you the one that's refinancing every year and a half? Well, I'm going to give you the options to do this. Then maybe don't pay $10,000 in discount points. If you're only going to keep the rate for a year and a half, I'm going to show you what your break-even point is. You got to keep the loan for eight years before you break even. Sure. Well, if you're refinancing every other year, it doesn't make sense to do that. So, right. and that's the difference between person who's doing this for so long and asking the right questions. Some people don't even think about it. Oh yeah, I'm just going to sure. refinance every two years. I don't care how much in discount points or closing costs I'm paying the first time around. Well, you should. Let's right. keep that to a minimum because you're just going to do it again. Right. So it's really planning. It's not just a transaction. It's a game plan. And we really have to go through the game plan. 
Yeah. And it's something that we actually talk about with our loan officers and our clients and stuff like that is just that same concept of like, you know, consumers don't know anything. Right. And I think so many times loan officers have the curse of knowledge, right? Like you just kind of have this assumption that because you think these things are like just standard knowledge, right? About the mortgage industry that like, hey, you don't need 20% down. And, you know, all of these things that are kind of like these mythical things about the mortgages. And I worked for a mortgage company for years and I thought I needed 20% down. And I talked to one of the loan officers. He's like, no, you can buy with three and a half percent down. Actually, there's down payment assistance programs. I was like, what? So I yeah. should have bought you know a couple of years before I actually bought. And so I think that's something that's super pivotal for anybody who's listening is like, you know, guys, like the consumer knows nothing about the mortgage process. And even if they say something right out the gate, it's because like, let's just talk about like an online lead per se. Like someone says like, oh, well, what about this? It's like, okay, well, like you're the expert. Like you need to be able to get around those sorts of questions because they don't know. All they saw is like some article or some video or Aunt Susie told them X, Y, Z. And like, they don't know anything, right? Like they're just making assumptions. And so if you are able to answer questions in a way that, um, well, not necessarily even answer questions, but ask questions that are going to actually understand and uncover what their true problems are, motivations, and where they're trying to get, then you're able to be a true advisor, right? Again, that's like the combination of being a salesperson and an advisor. Maybe they are going to be in a home for only four years. Then maybe it makes sense to do some sort of a, you know, arm product, you know, maybe not. I don't know. It just depends on what we're doing. So there's a lot of different things there. And I think so many times people just push someone into a 30-year fix because, that's what everybody kind of assumes like everybody wants. And, you know, obviously when rates were 3%, it's pretty hard not to do a 30 year fix. Um, right. But now we're in a different market where, you know, it needs to be kind of a bigger conversation, I think. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all about asking questions. Don't make the assumption. Like you said, everybody assumes a 30 year, but you bring up something that just triggered a memory that I had last year or the year before during COVID. I had just done a loan for somebody a year and a half before. It was a 30-year fix. He did put 20% down. He was relocating from Minnesota down to South Florida. And he didn't know if he and his wife were going to like it down here. It was a little bit sure. of a culture change, you know, the weather and everything else. So he said, I'll do the 20% down. I'll do a 30-year fix, and then we'll see what happens. So about a year and a half later, he's getting a solicitation from somebody to refinance. And they're offering him to go from a 30-year to a 30-year. He's got 28 and a half years left on that 30 year loan at no cost to him. They would lower his interest rate by three eighths or a half, something like that. And he called sure. me up and he said, James, is this something I should do? I just talked to him. I just asked him questions. Oh, so do you like Florida now? How long do you think you're going to be down here? How long do you think you're going to be in that house? Well, we're going to retire in this house. And my game plan is I want to retire in 15 years. Great. So instead of going and just dropping your interest rate by a half, let's lower the term from 28 and a half years that you have left. And I'll show you a 15 year payment and a 20 year payment. And mm -hmm. you choose whichever one you want. And do you know that we did that loan at a 15 year payment? He probably got it in the twos and he was as happy as can be. And the yeah. payment when I removed his escrow was the same as it was with the escrows ended on the 30 year. So sure. he preferred to waive the escrows anyway. So it was a win-win all the way around. If I was just an order taker, I'd say, oh yeah, that's a good deal. Go ahead and take it. Or I would try to sure. beat that deal. That deal right, didn't make right. sense for him. And I didn't know that deal didn't make sense for him until I asked him questions. And that's, yeah, the, that's the big difference. So you can't make assumptions like you said. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's what makes you stand out. What'll actually make you win deals is like, yeah, sure. There's going to be a small percentage of people that they just want the lowest rate. 
right? But most of the time, I think that is because that's what they're conditioned to want more so than what is best for them. And I think, you know, yes, obviously, you know, low straight sometimes can be the best thing, but you know, we all know that, you know, there's some that are charging multiple points. I can give you whatever rate you want, as long as you're willing to pay for it. Right. There's something to be said about, you know, asking the right questions. So to kind of pivot as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit, like, let's just say we're get to start it over again today. Like, what would you do if you're starting over today to go out and get business? If I was just starting in the mortgage industry today, yeah, what would I do to your business? Yeah. Exactly. If you're just to start over today, if you're brand new, like you're that 22 year old kid that, you know, that needed to go out and get business, what would you do today in this market, in this sort of environment with social media and all this kind of stuff? They'd come to work for me. (laughs) That's what that would do. I'd have to find somebody like me that would take me under their wing. Short of that, I would say you have to find a place that is going to give you the training. You can't build a house without a foundation. I did it by luck and sweat and getting the door slammed in my face. And It was a different time back then. But in order to succeed now, I think we have so many tools now, whether it's self-learning, learn from a mentor, get with a company that has some kind of a training program. Typically, banks are really good at training in the beginning. So get the foundation. Are you going to make that much money in a bank doing a loan? Probably not. But you're going to get the training. You may even get the customers coming in. So. That's boot camp for me to have customers walking in and sitting down saying, I need a loan instead of going out, cold calling realtors or networking and asking for people who need a mortgage. It's two different things. So I think if that was the case, it would either be a call. I would hate to say a call center only because it is really rough. It's the hardest job I've ever had in the mortgage industry, but I learned how to sell. And I guess- because I already had a foundation that put the walls up for me in a good way to get to the roof of the house, to use that analogy. Had I just come out of college and just went to a cold calling position? No way. I wouldn't have been able to tolerate that, I don't think. But you do have to find a place that does have training. And most of them have some kind of training. And if they don't have the training, find outside sources to where you can get the training, the sales training, as well as the mortgage training. You do need to know what LTV means. What is loan to value? You have to have that. I didn't have that in 1988. They just threw me out and said, go find a loan and we'll figure figure it out out from there. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. That's smart. I mean, it's funny because when I had transitioned from you know, being an AE, I actually got my license to become a loan officer before I kind of fell into doing marketing. And I did basically go to the broker that like, I was like, I know reverse mortgages. I'm going to originate some reverse mortgages, but like, you know, cause I was an AE, right? So I knew all the guidelines I knew everything about a reverse mortgage. I knew all that stuff. I know anything. Right. And so like, I went to the spot that's like, oh, they'll pay me the most, but they had zero support, zero training. And, you know, I ended up falling in love with marketing in the meantime and sort of went that direction instead. But yeah, I agree. You know, if I would have done anything different when I kind of went through that scenario is I would have found someone, you know, maybe paid a little bit less, but was going to do all the training. Maybe it's a call center. Maybe it's just someone that's a local person that does good business. Maybe it could even be an LOA. I think sometimes people have you know, that ego around being a loan officer. And it's like, all right, well, you're probably going to make just as much money or if not more and learn more by being an LOA with someone who's producing at a high level. And guess what? Maybe in a year or two, you can go do your own thing. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Any sort of parting words of wisdom for anybody that's listening? Well, for us that have been in the industry more than 12, 15 years, you know, when the first crash happened, hang in there. (laughs) It's not as bad as everybody's making it out to be. We're going to make it through this. 
as you mentioned, we have a very important function in society. You know, it is the largest transaction anyone's going to make, and they shouldn't take that lightly. They should really make sure that they're dealing with somebody that is not an order taker, somebody that can talk to them about their wants and their needs and how long. And there's a lot that goes into it. And I just think that we're in a great market, even though we have a lot of challenges. Um, sure. It's more opportunities next year to help people. So we make yep. it through this year. And I think the sky's the limit. We just need to get more inventory. That's the sure. only thing that I'm really looking at. And I think the builders will start to build and I think more people will start to sell and there will be people moving from house to house. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity to help people throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree. I think there's this period of obviously rates and things like that. And there's a little bit of that fear in the marketplace. So, you know, some of the sellers aren't selling because of that, but at some point people are just going to get, have to get used to it. Cause you know, I don't foresee rates going down you know, back to the twos and threes ever again in history, right? You know, like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. So we'll probably never see 2020 and 21 again, which is probably a good thing in terms of like, that's probably why we were in this scenario in the first place, because of the fact that rates were at, you know, two, 3%. So if someone wanted to connect with you, learn a little bit more about you, anything like that, where can people find you online? Or, you know, where can people connect with you? Yeah, if you Google me, I'm on every social media platform out there, James Matarazzo or Cell phone number is 954-648-7848. And that has been the same probably for as long as I've been in the business. That's the main way to get in touch with me is that cell phone number. But I have a business Facebook page, a personal one. I put a lot of content out there just to inform people as to what's happening in the market. And I'm really an open book. You ask me a question, I'll give you the answer. And if I don't have it, I'm connected to so many people, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, any of the platforms throughout the country, really throughout the world, I can probably get somebody to help you. So I want to be awesome. a connector very much like you, Luke. So I appreciate you taking the time to interview me and I look forward to helping everybody. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, James, for being here. And just for everybody who's listening, I think my biggest kind of takeaways from today, one, the fact that we talked about like getting that training, having a mentor, having some sort of way that you're taught how to sell, right? And so I think whether that be finding someone to mentor you or going somewhere that has training, you know, maybe doing the hard thing and, you know, maybe go work for Quicken or go work for one of those little call centers that are going to train you how to be a savage salesperson. Yes, you're going to have to put your 60, 80 hours in things like that per week, but you're going to learn some tools and tricks and things like that, that you'll have for the rest of your career. So I do think that having that skill set's huge. Again, you don't have to do something like that, but you can find people that have the skills that you can, you know, pay to get to that level. Or again, finding someone local that I thought there were some good things there in terms of like, you know, being good at sales is different than being a good referral person. So having both of those skill sets is massive, I think, especially in a market like today. And then, you know, in this market, really, it comes down to, you know, being someone that has assurance that knows that, hey, this is a good situation. So asking the right questions, understanding the scenario. I think that was huge too, right? I've always been a big advocate of that Socratic method, the Socratic dialogue type of uh, sales process is huge, right? It's like the more questions you can ask, the better you can understand them, and the better you can serve them. So I really love that. And so for anybody who's listening, make sure that you apply what you heard today. And if you are interested in learning more about how you can help flip the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.